My name's Amy. It's a great joy to be here with you this morning. I'm going to be carrying on our series, which is called Whatever You Do. So this is where we're looking at the massive chunk of your time where you're not eating, you're not sleeping, you're not kind of in church meetings. It's what you do with the rest of your life. Um, and I've got a friend. She's got three sons, and she writes this blog about her life. It's quite honest, often quite funny at times. Um, and she, t- she sort of tells about her life as a mum of these three boys. And one of the things that she wrote quite recently was this whole post about the thing of comparison. So she was saying and telling the story of all her friends that she's got that have quite impressive-sounding job titles, in her own words, and how sometimes she can feel in reaction to that as a full-time mum. And she, she basically, in this post, comes to the conclusion that she's not called to compare herself to other people and that she's called to do what God has called her to do and not what he's called somebody else to do. That she is, you know, whether she works in the home as a full-time mum or whether she works outside of the home, that's not really the thing. The thing is that she needs to do whatever she does to the glory of God. I've loved this series. I've loved hearing from all the different people and all their different kind of workplaces and the different things that they do with their time. But we are called to not compare ourselves, aren't we? So today I'm going to be focusing in on some of the specific challenges that we face in our workplace. But when you hear me talking about the workplace, if you work in the home or if you're uh, self-employed or part-time or retired, please don't disqualify yourself or not kind of zone into what I'm saying because a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today is actually about character. It's actually about your relationships with people. It's about your identity in Christ and being secure in what he's called you to do as an individual. So I think what I'm, what I'm going to be talking about is actually applicable to everybody, whether you're in the workplace or whether you're not. So I'm going to be jumping around a bit today in 1 Peter. So you might want to open your Bibles there, and the verses will come up, hopefully, on the screen behind me as well. The book of 1 Peter is actually a letter. It's a letter that Peter wrote to people that were dispersed throughout what is now modern-day Turkey. Um, and there's a number of different letters in the Bible, aren't there? If, I don't know if anyone's like me. When I read some of the books that are letters, I tend to sort of try and skip over the, the introduction bit and the, the kind of the greetings and the hello, how are you? I'm like, get to the meaty bit. I want to hear the, the good bit in the middle. But actually, as I was preparing this, I found that the first verse of 1 Peter was actually a great, a great summary, really, of what I want to talk about today. Because in this first verse, Peter addresses this letter to the elect exiles. And these are two small, seemingly kind of contradictory words, but they have this huge, huge meaning for us as Christians. And in this case, Peter's not addressing kind of literal exiles. He's talking about a spiritual state. It's important to remember that. He's addressing followers of Jesus who are both chosen by God and kind of in living in this world, but hoping for the, their home, their true home in the new world to come. So these words... It's about elect means being chosen, and exiles means being expelled or barred from your own country. So the whole book of 1 Peter refers back to these two states that we're in as Christians, as God's elect people and as exiles of this world. And I think these are two massively, massively important truths for us to remember each day, but especially as we're stepping into our workplaces. There was an old fat fish song few years ago. Does anyone remember Fatfish? If you don't, they were a, um, a Christian band, and I can kind of feel Tim rolling his eyes from the corner, because let's just say he's not as big a fan as uh, I was, or am. Um, but anyway, they had this song that was called Heaven Bound, 
And in it, some of the words said this. They said, I am a stranger here. I don't fit in. I'm out of place. I am a citizen of heaven. And it's obvious to see that I belong with you. I don't want to settle or get too acquainted with this life. I've got to keep on looking up because he's coming soon. And then I will be heaven bound. It's quite a song. But I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I don't know if you've ever felt like you're a stranger in this world, like you, you don't fit in here. This isn't your home. Um, and this is the state that Peter is addressing, really, when he's talking about us being exiles. And if you've never felt like that, if you've never felt like you're a stranger in this world, then I guess my challenge to you today would be, why is that? Is it because you have got too acquainted with this life? Is it because you have settled here? Is it because that you've allowed yourself to become comfortable and to get caught up in worldly things and worldly ways of thinking? Um, and it can be easy to do, can't it? If we're honest, it can be easy sometimes to forget this identity, to forget the truth that we are elect exiles. And do you know what? I think it can be especially true, t- especially difficult to do that and easy to forget who you are when you're in the workplace. Um, We've all heard the phrase, you are what you eat, but I think it can also be true that you become most like those people who you spend most time with. Now, if you are kind of, if you're working full time, let's say, you're probably going to be spending the majority of your waking hours in a week surrounded by your colleagues. That may or may not be your situation, but if it is, that is the case. And if you're not preaching to yourself, if you're not reminding yourself day in, day out, sometimes even moment by moment by moment, of you know of who you are and your identity then it's likely that you're going to become more and more caught up in worldly things and worldly ways of thinking and actually you might be thinking well I I don't work as much as that or I work way more than that if you work one hour in a week or you work a hundred hours in a week that's not really the thing the thing is that you need to step into your workplace freshly reminded of who you are in Christ freshly reminded that you are called to be different that actually you are meant to feel out of place You're meant to be different because you have an inheritance like we were hearing earlier. It's imperishable, undefiled and unfading. That You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You need to know these truths. But more than that, it's actually about calling them to mind. It's no good knowing this stuff and then forgetting it in those moments when it's it's really key to remember. So what does it actually look like for us to live as elect exiles? Who are we called to be? Well, we're going to have a look together. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 21 says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we are called to be holy. We're called to not conform to the passions of our former ignorance. In other words, that means that we have been set apart, that we are called to live differently as Christians than we did before we were following Jesus. And if in our workplaces we're surrounded by those people who are not Christians, which I'm guessing for many of us will be the case, I know it's, it's always been the case for me wherever I've worked, we, we should look different to them. What we say, what we do, what we think should look different. 
We are called to be holy in all our conduct. And we see in these verses as well that we're also called to conduct ourselves with fear. Now, you might think that sounds like a bit of a weird thing to say. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we kind of walk around quivering with fear and worrying about everything. What it means is that we are called to live in awe and reverence of the living God. That's what that means. And how do we do that then? Well, I love these verses again because they tell us. They tell us that one of the key things that we need to do is to prepare our minds for action that we need to be sober-minded, that we need to be aware, really, that there is this battle that is going on for our minds all the time. The enemy, the devil, is trying to get us to think in a certain way, to, to put our hope in things, in anything, really, that's not Jesus. And even more than that, he's sneaky. So he doesn't even want us to be thinking about something else. He just wants us to forget who we are, to be passive, to not be reminding ourselves of the truth. And I love this bit where it says that we need to prepare our minds for action. It goes back to what I was saying earlier, that we need to be freshly reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ as we're stepping into our workplaces. We need to be trusting in him. We need to be secure in our identity in him to be different to the world around us. That's not just going to happen by accident. It's not like you're going to wake up one day and go, oh, do you know what? I was holy in all my conduct today. Maybe, possibly, if there was some sort of like dream day, you know, all the trains were on time and you floated into work and everyone was really lovely to you and you didn't spill coffee down yourself before you went into a meeting like Tim did the other week and you didn't hit reply all to, all the, to an email that you didn't mean to and, you know, all of that stuff. Nobody interrupted you in the entire day. You managed to get all your work done for the deadline. Maybe then you float home on this cloud of bliss and you have a lovely evening. Maybe, possibly then. It might be easier for us to respond to things in a way that glorifies God and in a way that looks different to the world around us and reflects something of God's beauty. But we all know that is not the reality that we live in, unfortunately. So we need to understand, first of all, that this call to be holy is not primarily um, about moral purity. Actually, it's primarily about God's radical, all-encompassing claim on our lives and our identities, first of all. Joel Scandrick, who's a writer, said this, As long as our notions of holiness are limited to doing certain things and not doing other things, we can go through our entire lives without dealing with the far more, uh, sorry, go through our entire lives obeying the rules or at least maintaining the appearance of doing so without dealing with the far more fundamental questions like whose are we or to whom do we give our first love and loyalty. So we need to answer those questions first. Our holiness begins with God's holiness. We can't be holy in and of our own doing. It's God who saves us, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, he empowers us to live in a way that glorifies him. Now, I know somebody who, uh, a few years ago, they had a young family, um, they really needed a job, really needed some money, and they went for an interview. They went for an interview at a magazine publisher, and it turns up, the company loved him, they offered him the job, and it was a really good pay, and it looked like the great job. But this guy found out during the course of this interview that as well as the magazines, he realized he would have to look after, that he was also going to have to be responsible for some of these like lads mags and all of the stuff that came with that. And as a Christian, he just felt, you know what, I can't, in good conscience, I don't feel I can do this. And so he turned this job down. And the, um, the interviewer didn't understand, they didn't get it, they were like, why are you turning this down? So they just kept upping and upping and upping this salary offer until this guy had to like, physically stand up and walk away and say, look, no, I can't do this. I'm a Christian, I, I can't do this. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can box off the stuff 
that happens in the workplace or in our career and treat it somehow as if it's separate to the rest of our lives. But it's not. And that guy could well have said, you know, I don't really feel comfortable doing this job. I don't really ascribe to those values, but it's just a job. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to do it anyway. God cares about the rest of my life, but he doesn't care about that. And, you know, it's just business. But if God is God over every area of your life, there is no place for the phrase, this is just business. Because our God is God from bedroom to boardroom, from workplace to play place, from living room to schoolroom, and every single place in between. And when we understand that God is God over all of those things, it actually keeps us tuned into his voice. It helps us to understand how we should respond when these different situations come up and when we're faced with these different challenges. In the past, personally, I've had situations come up where I've been asked to work for certain clients that as a Christian, I just didn't feel I could work for. And so I'm in this situation of, oh, do I have this awkward conversation and kind of be seen as not being a team player and give somebody else more work to do? Or do I just kind of keep my head down and just think, oh, it's just business, it's just work, I'll carry on. And you might look at that example of earlier from the guy who kind of turned down this job. And you might think, wow, you know, he was truly living to glorify God. He was truly holy in all his conducts. And that's true. He was. He, he turned down this job even though he needed it. He turned down the money even though he needed it. And he, he was glorifying God. But I think sometimes we fall for this lie that we can only glorify God in those big, in inverted commas, moments or in those big kind of ethical decisions. But actually, God doesn't place a distinction on those big ethical decisions and the small, inverted commas, moment-by-moment decisions. He, he cares about all of it, and we're called to glorify him in all of it. And actually, you know, God cares just as much about my decision to not work for those certain clients and to have the slightly awkward conversations that came out of that as he does about this guy turning down this career-changing job. And he cares just as much about your decisions to... I don't know, for example, to not kind of squeeze the numbers or stretch the numbers slightly on that report when no one's going to find out anyway, as he does about your decision to not steal millions of pounds from your company. There is no distinction. And sure, of course, the effects and the, the, you know, the, the fallout of some of those simple decisions will be more overt than others, but they will all have an effect, whether that's on your own heart, whether that's on your relationship with God, whether it's on your relationship with other people around you, or whether it's on your witness as a Christian, they will all have an effect. And in the workplace, just as in everywhere else in life, we are surrounded, aren't we, by these opportunities, these moments where we can choose to sin or we can choose to honour God. And if you fall for the lie that this part of your life is somehow separate to everything else in your life, then you will find yourself being more and more influenced by the world um, and becoming more and more like it. And again, this isn't something that happens overnight. It's not like you wake up one day and you go, oh, I'm corrupt. Or, oh, I'm you know, a profound liar. Or in the depths of an affair. Or addicted to the highs of promotions and money. God cares about these small moment-by-moment decisions. And it's in these moment-by-moment decisions that those kinds of things happen. God cares every time you choose to cut corners and cover it up. Every time you choose to exaggerate or to flirt with that colleague when you're on a business trip. Or... You know, to choose to let your eyes wander. Every time you choose to take all the credit for a team project and things like that. Every time you fall for the enemy's lie that this doesn't matter. That no one sees. That this is just business. And that somehow your work life is separate from the rest of your life. 
So I guess another challenge I'd love to throw out today is if your accountability with brothers and sisters in Christ only stretches as far as your front door, so in other words, you're never speaking to anyone about the challenges and the temptations that you face in your workplace, then you are leaving yourself vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. And make no mistake, it tells us in 1 Peter 5 verse 8 that the devil is prowling around like a lion looking for someone to devour. These moments really matter. These small moments really matter. And I'd really encourage you to speak to somebody about the challenges that you're facing and whatever that looks like in your context or your workplace. So there's one verse in 1 Peter 2 that I think really sums up so many of the challenges and the the kind of things that we face in these small moment-by-moment decisions. And it's the very first verse of chapter 2. So it says this, Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Let me just repeat that. There's a lot there. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. You might think, oh, sounds simple. There's a lot in that sentence. But if we actually dig a bit deeper, we can understand that a lot of these things can kind of show themselves under different guises, um, and particularly in the workplace. So I just wanted to give you a few, few examples. So malice is about having the desire to harm someone, but it's also about having ill will towards someone. So that could mean holding a grudge against someone for that time they made you look bad in a meeting or, you know, being bitter towards someone because they took credit for your work in a, in a project. There are loads of different moments where we can choose to be malicious. I don't know if, like me, this has happened to me a few times, you've been in a meeting and you've kind of, you've got colleagues surrounding you and something's been announced that affects you, affects your team. And it's the first you've heard of it, but you know that there are other people in that room who know already. And you can feel their eyes on you watching how you're going to react to this news and kind of hanging around afterwards to see how you're going to talk about the decision that's been taken and the person that's taken this decision. Are you going to be and speak kind of maliciously of this person or are you going to be gracious towards them and and be loving? Um, So there are choices to make in that moment. What about deceit then? Deceit is about concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Or it's also making promises that you know you can't keep in order to secure a sale. Or only telling part of the story so that you look good. There are loads of opportunities for deceit in the workplace. Envy, that's about feeling discontented or resentful or longing for somebody else's possessions or their salary or their job title or their benefits package or their connection with that person in management or you know their successes their opportunities all of these things and we can get so caught up in desiring these things and wanting them for ourselves um, and and becoming envious what about slander then that's one that people get sued for isn't it Uh, well it's described defined as the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation but it's also gossiping about them behind their back or exaggerating a mistake that they made and retelling the story to anyone who will listen. Or it's not representing them fairly to their superiors when you're asked to give a review of that person. Or maybe like me, you've been at the pub after work and you've had a colleague sort of sidle up to you and start talking about another of your colleagues badly. And it's almost like they're trying to bait you to see if you'll join in and if you will engage in this kind of spiral of tearing down this person verbally or whether you will kind of speak well of them, speak positively of them. Um, And there's a choice in that moment to make, isn't there? There's a choice. And in this one verse, we are told to put away all of that. That's quite full on. (laughs) 
This one verse says that. We're called to be different. We're called to look different to those in the world around us. And we're called actually to be a blessing, aren't we? We're called to reflect something of God's beauty to this broken world. So when you're working with people, you're, you're kind of surrounded by these people for a lot of time. <laughs> you know, they see you on your best days. They see you on your worst days. They see all these decisions that you're making. They see your reactions to so many different kinds of things. And, yeah, they're watching you. Make no mistake about that. They are watching you. I had a, a, a situation a few months ago in my office. I'd been working really, really hard on something for several months. I was quite proud of what I'd done. quite pleased with it. And it was something, a new product that we were selling to clients, and we'd sold it to some. We had somebody else who was interested in buying it. And when they found out that I was the one who developed this thing and that I was the one who was going to be delivering it, they sent this email. And they kind of said, why would I ever want to buy that if it's her that's doing it? <laughs> and, yeah, that was a bit of a painful moment. But to kind of rub salt into the wound... It wasn't an email that I just received privately that I could just kind of delete and pretend I'd never read. It was one that my colleague received, and they read aloud <laughs> without realizing what it said. Now, I work in an open-plan office, so everyone heard these quite cutting, quite personal remarks and judgments that this person had made of me without ever having met me, ever having spoken to me. And suddenly, everyone was watching. What was I going to do? How was I going to react? Um, and some of them, bless them, they kind of jumped to defend me and were defensive on my behalf. But they were watching, you know, was I going to get angry with this person who'd read out this email without realising what it said? Was I going to get angry with the guy who'd made these horrible comments about me? Was I going to be completely crushed by what he'd said? Was I going to storm out of the office? If you want a litmus test of where your, your identity is at, this is a good one. I can testify to that. Um, but people are watching us all the time. They are watching to see how someone reacts when, um, when you're humiliated publicly, when someone makes a mistake or when you make a mistake, you know, how you respond to gossip, to negativity, how you respond to praise, actually, when things are going well, when stuff's successful, how you respond to pressure and deadlines and, you know, when the client changes their mind ten times in a day or if you're a teacher and that child answers back for the hundredth time in the same hour, they are watching to see how you respond to that. And that is not to say that we have to be perfect, because if that is the, the standard, then we may as well just give up now. And it's not to say also that we need to be kind of like emotionless and fake and stone-like. We need to be real. But, you know, we can bear witness to the gospel in everything. We have so many opportunities to respond in love to people and graciously to people, in just in the everyday of life, in these everyday moments. We are called to reflect something of God's beauty on this earth. And if you find yourself saying things like, well, do you know, I was, I was a good witness when I didn't get drunk at the Christmas party. And then you live the rest of your life like your faith doesn't make a difference. It doesn't matter. Then you are missing out massively on what it means to be called to be different to this world. Sure, you were a great witness by not getting drunk, but that is... That's only one tiny part of it. People expect that of Christians by being countercultural with your whole life in these day-by-day -day moments, in these times of pressure. That is what will make people really take notice and see something of God. Remember that first. We are called to be holy in all of our conduct. And in this fallen world that we live in, we kind of we see that malice and deceit and envy and slander are commonplace. People are fundamentally selfish and self-centered, aren't they? They are 
we're, we're kind of taught that it's a race to the top. You know, you've got to get the most money. You've got to make the most sales. Your class has got to get the best grades. You've got to get the best customer reviews, all of this stuff. And we're taught that people will either help us or hinder us as we race for the top. But actually, as Christians, that's not what we're called to. We're called to be different. We are elect exiles. And that doesn't mean that we live a life of striving to be good, moral people. That is not what it's about. It means that we need to live a life with our minds empowered and prepared for action. We need to be secure in our identity in Christ. And we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Titus 3, it says this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Isn't that amazing? Our salvation and our ongoing sanctification, which is just a fancy way of saying us growing as Christians and becoming more and more like Jesus, all of that is a work of God in us. Now, that doesn't mean we sit back passively. It doesn't mean we forget our identity and we grow distance from God. It means that we need to make some decisions. We need to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting and his convicting work in our hearts. I love this quote um, from Francis Chan. It says, you have called, you've been called to be Christ-like and praise God. He does not call us to something that he is not fully able to realize in us. You may not feel like being Christ-like, but you have been called to it. I don't know why we think we should always feel good or strong or able or ready. Very often we know the path we ought to take, and yet we fail to act because we're not feeling it. So whether you feel good or strong or ready or able to be Christ-like or not, when you step into your workplace or when you're facing those moments of pressure, that is what you have been called to. And praise God, he doesn't call us to something that he's not able to fully realize in us. We need to lean on him, don't we? So we've talked about putting away malice and deceit and envy and slander. But what do we actually put on instead? Well, I just want to spend a few minutes looking at two different kind of key principles that 1 Peter gives us. So the first one is be humble towards one another. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is radically different from the world's way of thinking. You are not going to find any magazines or self-help books out there telling you to be humble. You know, it's all this message that we're saturated with about power and control and independence and the constant affirmation of the world around us and the pull, sometimes even of our own hearts, makes us believe that we deserve to be treated in a certain way or that we deserve to have a certain status. Um, and it can kind of tempt us to act out of pride rather than out of humility. So there will come moments where you have to make a choice. Are you going to act out of pride or are you going to choose to be humble? Number two, honour everyone. It tells us to do this in 1 Peter 2 verse 17. Years ago, I used to work as a waitress in a hotel. Um, and I used to have to serve at weddings as part of the job. And there was a particular bit of serving in weddings that I absolutely hated doing. And it was this thing called cracking the napkins. 
for the uninitiated, let me just explain what that means. So you, you had to go around the table, and there was all these napkins that you'd spent ages folding before everyone had got there, and you had to go around, pick them up, sort of fluff them out like this, and tuck them onto people's laps. Often people's laps were kind of under the table, so it was really awkward. It was massively awkward. I hated it. So what I would do is I would do the first one as kind of elaborately and obviously as possible, hoping that people would kind of get the idea and would do their own napkins before I could get there. <laughs> now, it's been a long time since I worked as a waitress, um, but I haven't forgotten my experience. And whenever I'm being served by people in a restaurant, I do my best to try and show them honour, you know, to try and speak to them as if they're a human being and to speak to them in an honouring way. I try and help them with what they're doing. And I definitely try and get to my napkin before they can. In more recent years in my work, um, I've had to walk into meetings with quite senior stakeholders um, and people who are important and make sure everybody knows how important they are. Um, and there's this one time when myself and my colleague walked into one of these meetings and the person that we'd gone to present to just didn't acknowledge us at all. <laughs> it was quite funny. It was quite awkward as well. Um, and also, there have been other times when, as a woman, under the age of 30, I have turned up to, to give presentations or to lead meetings with clients or whatever, and I've found that clients sometimes treat me differently to my older male colleagues. And, um, yeah, I, I've received everything from kind of disapproving looks to a public grilling to make sure I know my stuff. And it can be tough sometimes in those moments to, to when someone's not showing honour to you, to show honour to them. Um, but I guess another challenge for you today is will you choose to show honour to people regardless of your position, regardless of your importance or your responsibilities? Um, and actually, one that I found personally challenging is time constraints. When I'm not under pressure, it's much easier to show honour to everyone. But when the time pressure comes, you know, it can be harder to continue to show honour to people when it's a bit stressful and there's a deadline coming. So will you choose to show honour in those situations too? It can be tough, can't it? It can be tough to choose to live in humility, honouring everyone. But the glorious thing is that when we are weak, he is strong. And when you feel like giving up, Jesus shows you how to be faithful. And as Christians, Jesus is our ultimate example of how to live, isn't he? Jesus is God's elect. He is God's chosen one. He came to earth as a servant. He was born into humility. And he lived a life of serving and teaching and showing honour to people who society shunned. People like lepers and tax collectors, adulterers. And ultimately, Jesus himself was shunned and crucified by the very people that he came to save. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 5, it says this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. These verses are talking about us coming to Jesus daily. They're talking about this personal relationship with him. And as we develop this personal relationship, that we will be built up as a spiritual house. In this life, just as we see in these verses, just as Jesus was rejected by men, we too will be rejected by men. We will be on the receiving end of maliciousness and envy and slander and pride and a lack of honor. But actually, when we encounter these things, we don't have to respond in kind. We can be different. We are called to be different. We are called to endure, actually. We are called to be elect exiles, engaging in this world. We're not called to be separate from it. We're called to engage in this world, but shining brightly and revealing something of God's goodness and glory 